0: Once you found 1 John 5 in your Bibles, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 5. We'll be from verse 3 down through verse 5 this evening. The Bible says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? We're going to look at this topic this evening, how a Christian overcomes the world. How a Christian overcomes the world. Let's pray together this evening. Lord, help us as we dive into this passage, help us to understand it. Lord, help us to go forth and live it. Lord, the world has a great grip on many Christians. And Lord, um, help us to see that that's wrong. Lord, help us not to be overcome by the world, but Lord, help us to walk by faith and see that, Lord, we can, we can overcome the darkness around us. We don't have to let it have a grip on our lives. So, Lord, challenge us this evening in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Did everybody get an outline that wanted one this evening? I believe we have some in the back. If you didn't get one and you'd like one, if you just hold up your hand and our ushers will make the way to you. We've got a couple over here, a couple over here. Thank you. Last week, um, we looked at uh, the first three verses of 1 John chapter 5, and we saw what I will describe, I think I described as the love-faith cycle. To set up the sermon this evening, let's just go back and quickly review what we covered Last week, look back at verse number 1 of 1 John chapter 5. It says, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. So notice there in verse 1. The second word of the verse is the word believeth, and so we see this idea of faith right away in chapter five, and then we look down at verse number right uh, also in verse number one, and we see the word loveth. We see that um, uh, we see the word loveth twice, and then in verse number two we see the word love again. Love again. We love the children of God when we love God. So there's the idea of loving again. Look at verse number three. For this is the love of God. Uh, Look down at verse number four, for whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So believeth in verse one, faith in verse number four, verse five, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the son of God. The two themes that carry us through the first five verses of first John chapter five are the ideas of love and faith. And so just quickly here, why is it that we trust God? Why is it that we would have faith in God? We trust God when we understand how deeply He loves us. I made the point last week that the deeper I believe someone loves me, the more likely I am to trust them. Because they have given of themselves selflessly to taking care of me and my needs and my families. They've put themselves out there in a way that shows that they deeply care for me. And when I am fully and totally convinced that somebody loves me, then I'm more likely to trust that person. Is there any anyone who loves you more than God? You see what happens here is that when you fully in your heart of hearts understand just how deep God loves you, boy, the reflex is to have faith. How many here have ever had to get a physical? Had you know, to get a physical before? What happens? They sit you on the table and they take that little hammer and they hit you in the knee, right? And what happens? That leg comes flying up. And uh, I always make it a point to try to kick the doctor, right? Uh, No, I don't. I'm just teasing. But uh, what happens is there's a reflex there. What is the reflex when we fully, fully are convinced that God loves us? Well, the reflex is that we trust God. We trust God. If you're here tonight and you've not yet put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to save you, can I just uh, ask a question? Are you totally convinced that God loves you? And if not, why not? What more could God do to convince you that he loves you? For goodness sakes, he laid down His life of his only son on your behalf. I can't think of a greater act of love than that. And by the way, he didn't force Jesus to the cross. Jesus willingly laid down his life. God loves you so much that he let Jesus come to earth and die in your place, suffer on your behalf. Oh, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Praise God for that love. Boy, that love drives us to faith. You all with me this evening? But then our faith then turns around and drives us to love. You see, God love, God's love causes, causes us to trust. And when we trust God, guess what happens? God comes through for us. And then when God comes through for us, that creates within us an emotion of love that we reciprocate back to God. Look with me at, um, uh, let's see here, verse number, go back up to verse number 19 of the previous chapter. We love Him. Why? Because he first loved us. We don't know what love is apart from God. We love him because he first loved us. So you see here, we experience the love of God. We have faith in God. And then God comes through for us. And then we turn around and we love God back. But God is not the only one we love back. Look back at verse number 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments, verse one: uh, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Son of, uh, Jesus is Jesus the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat or that is saved, or has been regenerated, been made into a child of God, loveth Him also that is begotten of God. Not only do I love God, I also love others who are saved. I love the sons of God, or the children of God, and not only do I love God, and the children of God, I love the commandments of God. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. If... Um, My daughter, April, told me, Dad, I love you. But broke every rule I gave her. I wouldn't be real convinced that she loved me. You all with me? Love is not just lip service. Love is action. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, value my commandments. Um, And show me you love me by loving the commandments that I give you. Furthermore... If I were to give my son a commandment and he were to do it out of obligation only or out of fear that he'd be in trouble if he didn't, I wouldn't really feel very honored or loved. Boy, if my son and my daughter cherished the rules and valued the rules and cared about the rules and upheld the rules and honored the rules, boy, then I begin to feel loved. You see, the love-faith cycle. The more I feel God's love... The more I trust God. The more I trust God, the more I experience His coming through for me. And the more I experience Him coming through for me, the more I love God in return. And the more I love God in return, the more I will love His children and love His commandments. What is the end result? Well, the end result is explained in verse number 4. Look there, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Overcometh the world. Boy, we're born again and we overcome the world. Let's jump into the outline this evening and notice three thoughts on how a Christian overcomes the world. Point number one, the fruit of the believer. The fruit of the believer. Look down at 1 John chapter 5 and look at verse number 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. So what is the fruit of the believer? Well, the fruit of the believer is that we value his word, we we care about his rules, right? And um, uh, the fruit of the believer is that we overcome the world's system. Turn over to John chapter 13 and verse number 35. Now, much of the book of 1 John is just a rehashing of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount found in the book of John. So turn over to John chapter 13 and look with me at verse number 35. It says there, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one for another. When the world looks at you, is it obvious to them that you are a disciple of Christ? Is it obvious? Is there fruit that is visible? Is it fruit that is visible? Turn over to Acts chapter number 11. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter number 11. Now, the church got its start in Jerusalem Persecution came to the church of Jerusalem, and the church was scattered. And the new hub of Christianity landed in the city of Antioch. And the church that was established in Antioch was a multicultural church. What does that mean? That means that Jews and Gentiles alike... Worship the Lord together. Look at Acts chapter 11 and look at verse number 26. It says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples of Christ. The disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Notice here that these folks started to to, to bear fruit In their lives. The outside people of the church began to look at those who went to the church of Antioch and say, I recognize that. I recognize those attributes. I recognize that behavior. I recognize that fruit. Those folks are miniature versions of Christ. Of Jesus the Christ that walked the earth. Let's call them Christians. Let's call them Christians. Boy, I I hear some people, they say... Oh, I got saved when I was a child, or, or I got saved years ago. But you look at them, and there's no evidence at all that they're actually saved. Now, I want to just warn you here, be very careful about being judgmental about someone else's claim to being saved. Ultimately, God knows whether they're saved or or not. They may be saved and just living in a backslidden state. But can I just say this to you this evening? Is that where there is no conviction over sin, there's been no conversion from sin. Where there is no conviction over sin, there's been no conversion from sin. If you can do wrong and you're not bothered at all at, on the inside, if you can do wrong and there's never any change inside of you or any fight to change inside of you, boy, you ought to question whether or not you're even really truly saved. Boy, many people have prayed a prayer and done lip service but never truly been converted. We must be careful that there is actually fruit in our lives. This is why the Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You are to work out your own salvation. You know what that means? That means you're to regularly check Is there evidence in my life that I am saved? Is there fruit being born in my life? Go back to First John chapter 5 and look at verse number 4. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. You see here how it's a foregone conclusion that if you are a child of God, eventually you will overcome the world. Now, I want to make it clear, none of us are going to totally overcome the world until we step on a heaven shore and we're made whole. Right? That goes back to my sermon this morning where we talked about being made into the image of Christ. We won't actually look like Christ totally until we get to heaven. But the process ought to begin here on earth. And you know what? We're not totally going to overcome the world until we get to heaven. But there ought to be some progress made right here, right now. The fruit of the believer. Christian, is there any evidence in your life that the things you used to do before you were saved, that you don't do them anymore? The song that a lot of youth groups sing and some children's groups sing. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The words I used to say, I don't say them anymore. The thoughts I used to think, I don't think them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. The fruit of the believer. Now, I don't want to attach, or rather, I don't want to put too much emphasis on The action or the changes and not enough emphasis on the relationship that drives the changes. Please, please listen to me. Here's how the Christian life works. I bow my head. I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I ask Him to make me a Christian. I ask Him to make me a believer. I've I've become a believer by putting my faith and trust in Christ. And at that moment, the Bible says I am regenerated. I am made a child of God. I am uh, made a new creature in Him. And then what happens? Boy, God begins to work on me and change me a little bit at a time. If you can look back to the day that you prayed the sinner's prayer... And not one thing in your life has changed. Not one habit is gone. Not one thing has changed. Boy, I would really, if I were you, I would really be concerned whether or not you actually got saved. There should be some fruit. I'm not going to look at you and say you're not saved. But I think inwardly we all should ask ourselves on a regular basis... What evidence is is there that I've grown in the Lord? The fruit of the believer. When the world looks at you, do they see that you're in the process of overcoming the world? Or do they see that you're just part of the world? The fruit of the believer. Number two, notice the foe of the believer. The foe or the enemy of the believer. Look back at 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh what? You guys awake this evening, overcometh what? The world. world. What in the world does that mean? Let's keep reading. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. There's that phrase again. Even our faith. Look at verse 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? We find that phrase, overcometh the world, three times in two verses. Overcometh the world. Overcometh the world. What does it mean? When it says the world, I could take a long time and talk to you about the enemies that we face as believers. Can I tell you the number one enemy that I face myself is my own flesh? You know what? There are some mornings I wake up, I don't want to be nice to my wife and kids. I want to be a grouch. There are some mornings I wake up, I don't want to read my Bible. I just don't. Oh, you're the pastor. You're supposed to love the Bible. Oh, I love it, but my flesh doesn't love it. There are mornings I wake up, and I don't want to pray. Hey, there's even some Sunday mornings here and there. I wake up, and I don't want to go to church. But I'm the pastor, so I have to be here. Amen? I don't have a choice in the matter. i got to be here. I've got to come and deliver the message. I face the same battles with my flesh that you do. But the Bible here is not talking about the flesh. It's talking about the world. Look back at chapter 2, verse number 15 with me. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15. What does John mean when he says that we're to overcome the world? Well, he's already explained that to us earlier in his letter that he wrote here to these churches. Look at verse 15 of 1 John chapter 2. It says, Love not the world. Neither the things, so that would be the material goods, the material items that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16 gives us a very clear explanation. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of Of the flesh. That's our fleshly impulses. The lust of the eyes. That's a desire for materialism. The pride of life. That's elevating my name and my cause above all else in a way that's harmful and sinful. Boy, that is the world's system today, is it not? The world's system. How many of you here know what YOLO means? Y-O-L-O. YOLO. You all know what that means? Raise your hand if you have no idea what YOLO means. Yo no say. Alright. The Spanish speakers, that means I don't know. Yo no say. YOLO. Y-O-L-O. Zach, what's that mean? I had to ask a teenager. I knew they would know. You only live once. You only live once. You know what the attitude is? Hey, man, just go for it. You only live once. Hey, man... Uh, uh, put that in your mouth and swallow it. Hey, you only live once. Hey, you know what? Your flesh desires to be with that guy or that girl? Hey, go for it. You only live once. Hey, you know what? Uh, go ahead and buy that car that's out of your price range and enjoy it until they repo it. You only live once. You only live once. Uh, Gen Z, or the younger generation, right? This would be, this would be Sochi and Alexa and Zach's age group. They uh, they have some other phrases. There's FOMO, F-O-M-O. Raise your hand if you know what FOMO means. Ooh, just a couple. FOMO, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out. This is the idea that everyone else will know the joke and laugh at it, but I won't know it. This is why teens have to be connected to Facebook all the time. Because they'll get to school and everyone else will talk about that meme that got posted and they won't, some of you don't even know what a meme is, all right? That picture with the funny words on it. They won't know uh, about it and there's a fear of missing out. I've got one more here for you. FOLO, FOLO. Anybody here know what FOLO means? F-O-L-O. Fear of living offline. Fear of living offline. You ever have a teenager come to your house? They're gonna first question they're going to ask you is, Can I have your Wi-Fi password? I need to get on the Wi-Fi, man. I need to have it right now. I can't be offline. Fear of living offline. You know what this is? This is the world's system. This is the world's system. Well, the world says promote yourself. Put yourself first. The pride of life. It says get all you can. Can what you get. And sit on the can. Those of you that know my dad know I got that from him. Um, uh, that's, um that's, uh, that's a common attitude of I've got to get everything I can. I've got to hold on to it and I can't share with anyone. I've got to promote myself. I need to have the newest and the nicest and the best. I, if my flesh desires it, I have to have it. And you know what, Christian, these are the enemy of fruit bearing. The other day I went out to do some lawn work in my yard. I've been so busy with the church this past year that I've turn the lawn care over to Matthew. He's been cutting the lawn at our house. And he's doing a pretty good job, all in all, although he's just now learning how to use a weed eater. And so I've got to go out and do some of the work some of the time. And I, I pulled in the driveway the other day and noticed that we had weeds shooting up in our gravel driveway. Weeds were growing up through gravel in our driveway. And I said, how does anything grow through a gravel Driveway, And I looked around the the, the area and there were some other weeds that were growing up in different areas. And so I put Matthew in the car and we drove over and we got a big thing of weed killer. And I was walking around and spraying the weeds and hitting them. And I said to Matthew, I said, there's a spiritual application here. You would never get anything productive to grow in the middle of this gravel driveway. But weeds can grow anywhere. Weeds can grow anywhere. You know, the world and the world's system, it can grow in any crevice of your life that you give it space. It grows up and it chokes out the fruit of the believer. You're going along and you're reading your Bible every day and you're praying and you're on track and you're walking with God and you're faithful to church for a few months and all of a sudden Satan gets some weeds of the world system that begins to grow up in your heart. And what happens is it begins to choke out those evidences that you're saved. And We have to continue to do that lawn care, not in our front yard, but in our heart. The garden of our heart. The fruit of the believer. The foe of the believer. God wants us to overcome the world. In fact, if you're saved, He expects you to overcome the world. Number three, and lastly, notice the faith of the believer. Look back at verse number four of first john chapter five we see here it says for whosoever is born of god overcometh the world this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith how do we overcome the world the old hymnal says faith is the victory faith is the victory faith is the victory that overcomes the world Uh, We must walk with God and trust Him and give Him our struggles in order to overcome uh, our struggles. It is faith that overcomes those strongholds that the devil and the world seem to get in our life. Let me quickly give you a letter A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, the person of our faith. Look at verse number 5 of 1 John chapter 5. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. I've shared this with you all before. It it definitely bears repeating here. and Boy, it wouldn't hurt if I just repeated this once every other week. Something we all need to hear on a regular basis. Much of my Christian life, you know what I've tried to do? I've tried in my own flesh to be the best version of a Christian that I can be. You know what, that's successful to a point, but your ceiling is low. What do I mean? I can train my flesh to look just good enough to impress you. I can can train my flesh to to behave just well enough to where my wife and kids accept my faith back before I was a pastor I could train my flesh to behave in such a way where the pastor would accept me and be pleased by me but you know the 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 the, uh, the ability to really grow to a place of great growth uh, uh, to really live a life that overcomes the world boy it's stymied at some point it's limited at some point this morning I opened up the message by talking about those sins that encircle us and we never can seem to get out ahead of them we never can seem to beat them they Always seem to trip us up and make us fall and how do we get out ahead of that here is the key to how to get out ahead of it my friend it is faith in christ that saved you it is also faith in christ that leads you past those problems my brother stood up here and preached a few sunday mornings ago and he said something very eloquently he said we're saved by grace through faith and we grow by grace through faith it is faith in Christ that brings us the victory to overcome the world. Christian, I would also say to you that you need to be patient. I'm looking out across the room and some of you have been saved for 10, 15, 20, some of you 40 years. Others, others of you have been saved 10, 15, 20, 40 days. And you want to be all the way there right now. And I would tell you, the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a, it's a pace. It's a pace. You're better off running at a steady pace and, and, and hitting these growth points um, uh, uh, at, a, at a pace instead of sprinting past it and being winded and falling by the wayside and quitting. The key is that we put our faith in Christ. You know, I'm limited in my ability to overcome sinful habits. But if I yield myself to Christ and let Him do it through me, there is nothing that I cannot overcome. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Where should our faith be? It should be in the person, verse 5 says, of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. Let her be, notice, the purifying of our faith. The purifying of our faith. Look back at verse number 5. Who is He that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You know that faith is a journey. Can I encourage you to do something when you get home tonight or next time you sit and do your devotions? Can I encourage everybody to do this? Write down categories where God wants to grow your faith. Write down categories. Categories. What do I mean? I mean, figure out, figure out where God's trying to grow you. You see, when um, my wife and I first got married, my faith was very weak. I had enough faith to be saved, and I had enough faith to grow to a point. But now that I was out from underneath mom and dad's umbrella, and even out from underneath Bible college umbrella, it was time for me to have my own faith. You children that are in the service this evening, and when I say children, I mean anyone who's still living at home in the care of their parents, where mom and dad are paying their bills, can I tell you, there's going to be a day where you aren't under mom and dad's authority anymore. And I know you look forward to that. Not having a mom and dad to tell you what to do. And you, you get to be a teenager and you, get to get, you, you begin to gain a sense of independence and wanting to uh, run your own life. And that's normal and natural. God made you that way to grow toward that place where you can be pushed out of the nest and fly on your own. And, and that's wonderful. But do you know that when you leave the nest... You have to pay your own bills. Right? You have to hold down your own job. You have to do your own laundry. Mom doesn't make your bed for you anymore. Right? Some of you say, I'm already doing my own laundry, pastor. And I'm already making my own bed. I'm already halfway there. Uh, No, those are the easy ones. Amen? You get to a place where you're out on your own. You're all by yourself. You have that independence. You have that spirit of being able to do it on your own. But you live at home now. And you know what God's trying to do with you? He's trying to use your parents to purify you and prepare you. Christian, we are, we are called to have our faith purified. To overcome the world. How do we do that? How do we do that? God brings areas of struggle. I remember when I was a young man. Uh, and I just gotten married, the first area God said your faith this weekend was my finances. He said, you don't trust me with money. You trust yourself. And in short order, he took all employment away from me. And he said, okay, now you don't have a job. You got a wife and you got a newborn son. Oh, and on the same day I'm going to take your job away from you, I'm going to take your car away from you too. Oh, and while I'm taking those things away from you, in 2 weeks your lease is up and you're not going to have a place to live. You going to trust me? Very early on in my marriage God challenged my financial faith. You know God has gone on and challenged all sorts of other categories of my faith. Right now the area that God is challenging me in is am I going to trust him with my relationships? He continues to bring relational problems into my life. And he's trying to say to me, are you going to fix the problem? Or are you going to trust me to fix the problem? Would it would be healthy, Christian, for you to write down the different categories where the Lord is trying to purify your faith. And begin to notice when God brings problems into your life to say, right there, you're weak in your faith. I'm trying to purify your faith. I'm trying to help you overcome the world. Letter C. And lastly, I'm almost done. Notice the power of our faith. The power of our faith. Verse 4 says, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world. Overcometh the world. What does faith in God really do? Well, notice below that it redeems. It redeems. If you're here tonight and you've not yet gotten saved. Boy, you get saved by His grace and your faith. You know, Jesus died for everyone when He died on the cross. You know, not everyone's going to heaven. What separates the crowd who's going to heaven from the crowd who's not going to heaven? The crowd who is going to heaven has believed in Jesus. And the crowd that isn't going to heaven has not believed. In Jesus, you see the power of faith. Faith is so powerful; it can take someone's destination from hell and whoop, move it over to heaven. Boy, God's 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 grace, when we intermingle our faith, is so powerful. Not only does our faith redeem us; notice, blow that it recycles, it recycles. I want you to imagine with me that uh, there is a soda pop can. Uh, what do we call uh, co- Coca-Cola in, in the Northeast? Is it called soda? Soda. I grew up in Alabama, and down there, everything is Coke, right? So you go sit down in a restaurant, and they come to get your order, and they say, what do you want to drink? You say, a Coke. And the next question is, what kind? What kind? Everything. If if it's carbonated, it's a Coke, all right? Down there, everyone drinks Coke and sweet tea. Nobody drinks water, Amen. And um and, and when you say Coke, there's Sprite Coke. Uh here it's all soda, right? Everything's soda. In Michigan where my mom's from, everything's a pop. Uh give me a pop. I so said I'll give you a pop. Amen? Uh but uh you have uh soda and so uh, you have a soda can that's been drunk and empty and it's sitting on top of the trash pile waiting for the trash man to come pick it up. And that's going to go in the back of that truck, and that truck's going to compact everything up and dump it out, and then that's going to get put into a fire and burned, all right? I don't know that that's actually the process, but for sake of illustration, just bear with me here, all right? You walk up and you you rescue, you redeem that can. You pull it off of the trash pile and you keep it from burning. You see, that's us getting saved. Then you walk over and you put it in the recycling bin. And a different truck comes up and dumps that in the back. And that soda can is then repurposed for a new use. You see, before we're saved, our faith redeems us from hell. After we're saved, it recycles us for the work of the Lord. But it takes our faith in doing that. It takes us trusting and believing in Him. There's a story that I may have shared in church many uh, many years ago. I'm not sure if I've shared this publicly. I have shared it privately with many of you, uh, but I believe it fits the sermon uh, very well here. And so I'm going to share it here at the end of my message, and we'll conclude the sermon with this. Um, I haven't always made the right decisions with my life. I've definitely been times where I've not walked by faith. I've more walked by sight. And so I don't mean to put myself up on a pedestal, I believe I'm transparent enough with the church and I share enough of my shortcomings where occasionally I can share an illustration where I made the right choice, amen? Uh, but by no means am I trying to make myself the hero or make it sound as though I always make the right decision. But I want to share a story with you about how God worked in my life and put my faith to the test and, and, and I exercised faith and God came through in an incredible way. You see, oftentimes when we talk about faith, it just is a theory. You say, Pastor, can you make it practical for me? Well, this story I believe will make it practical. I was a uh, school teacher uh, right out of Bible college. In fact, this is when I was served with the Moraleses. My wife and I served with the Moraleses at the Rosedale Baptist Church, and I was hired out of college by my father to be a Christian school uh, teacher. And I taught in the high school there for two years. I hated it. I, I'm not Christian school teacher material. We have some teachers in the room this evening. Miss Rose uh, teaches, and Brother Mike teaches, and Brother Tom teaches. God bless you all. Uh, I really mean that. I can't do what you do. I tried it, and I I was not successful. Uh, I I mean that. I really struggled, but I got about halfway through uh, the second year, and they passed out letters of intent of are you going to come back next year i took it i immediately signed on the decline the no line and i turned it right back in i had already prayed about it i thought about it teaching was not for me i was called to be a tr- in church work and to be a, a, a pastor and i desired strongly to be an assistant pastor my parents uh, had moved ministries and uh, they were attending a church up the road in a city called hunt valley maryland the hunt valley baptist church and Uh, The pastor began to talk to me early in the year, January, February, and he uh, began to lead me along that he was going to hire me to be his assistant pastor. The church had a home. Uh, on its property and my, my wife and I and my new son uh, were going to move into the home and through the interview process through most most of it Angela was expecting uh, May 1st 2009 I got Angela settled into the hospital they induced labor it was going to be a long process before Matthew was born and so I left Angela in the hospital and I drove to the Hunt Valley Baptist Church and I met with the pastor there and he officially that evening hired me to be his assistant pastor. I was to start as soon as I finished out that school year. I went back to the hospital, and at 2 in the morning or so, Matthew was born, and I just felt like everything was falling into place. I was gonna leave one ministry and walk straight into another ministry, and leave one paycheck and walk straight into an even bigger paycheck, and and not live in an apartment or bad part of town. I was gonna live in a nice house, and everything was checking out great. And um, uh, so Matthew's about two weeks old now. I've got one paycheck left there with the school. I'm 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 almost done uh, with uh, that the the school contract and my lease is finishing on our apartment there in Middle River, Maryland, and and I'm getting ready to move into this ministry. And on a Saturday morning, I loaded a bunch of boxes up in my car. And I drove up to where that house was. And I unloaded them into the house. And then I am driving back down from Hunt, Hunt Valley to, to Middle River, about a 30-minute drive. And I got, about, I got about three blocks away from my apartment. And my car went kaput. And when I say it went kaput, I mean it totally died. It went to the junkyard. No more car. Gone. Gone. Right? I thought, well, that's okay. You know, I'm about to move into this ministry position. My salary's gonna triple. You say, wow, you're really getting paid good. Oh no, my... My school salary was $18,000 a year. So triple doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. But my salary was about the uh, triple or almost triple. And so I thought, we'll patch it along until I start getting paid at the church and we'll buy a new car. Well, that day my car died and my parents still lived in the area. So they came and picked us up and took us to their house. And they mainly just wanted to see Matthew because he was their brand new grandson that was two weeks old. But I was over at their house and the phone rang. I picked it up and it was going to be my new boss. I walked into my parents' bedroom and he said, I need you to get by yourself. He said, I'm going to, um, I, I, I need to tell you something. He said, has God been to speaking to you about working here? I said, yeah, God wants me to work there. He said, well, that's not what God's telling me. He said, God's telling me to unhire you. I said, what? He said, God kept me up all night last night. told me that you were a marked man to work in another ministry. And I was not to hire you or, I, or God was going to punish me. He said, the truth is our church doesn't really have the money to pay you, but I'd find the money. You are unhired. That was the end of the phone call. I've lost my car and I've lost my job. I've got two weeks left on my apartment. um, I've got a wife that I've just been married to for barely two years, not even two years yet. And I've got a newborn son. I borrowed my parents' car and I drove home that night and I pull up in front of the apartment building there and I sent Angela inside with Matthew And I sat in the car and I wept. God was testing my faith in a big way. Then we began to see God do some amazing things. We were sent out to a church in uh, Frederick, Maryland to interview there. And the pastor brought us out for about a week and interviewed us and um, uh, led us along to believe that we were going to have a place to live and a paycheck. And then brought me in on the seventh day of driving out there. And then gave me the news that he was not going to hire me. He was going to look somewhere else. Got in my car and I began to drive back to Baltimore from Frederick, Maryland. The hour drive down Interstate 70 and tears were streaming down my cheeks. I said, God, what are you doing? Can I tell you what God was doing? God was growing my faith in him. God was seeing if I was going to trust him. The very next week, I and I'd borrowed $2,500 from my little brother to buy a car. If it's not bad enough to not have a car, now I'm $2,500 in the hold of James, that giant of a brother I have that preach here. I've paid him back. Amen. But at the time I was $2,500 in the hole to buy a 1995 uh, green Honda Taurus that had uh, uh, wheels on it that weren't working real well. And, um, uh, and so I had to uh, put money into the tires and all this. Anyway, I'm driving this car back. I've got tears streaming down my cheeks. I'm asking God what he's doing for me. And I'm looking at our new rent payment. We signed a month by month lease on it and we had to pay 120% to live there. And I didn't have enough money to pay that. I was three. $300 short, and I said, God, what are we going to do uh, to pay this? And God said, well, what are you doing? Get up and go look for a job. And so I began applying for jobs all over the place. I got a call right after I left the place from applying. It was a a place in Aberdeen, Maryland, where it was a warehouse job, and it was going to be a good paying warehouse job, enough to pay my bills. And the guy called me back. He said, you have the experience. He said, I love your work. Uh, I want you to come start work as soon as possible. He said, you have one problem on your application. I said, what is it? Let's get it fixed. He said, it says here you can't work Sundays. He said, you have to work Sundays if you're going to work here. Now, mind you, I was not going to Rosedale Baptist Church anymore. I was not going to Hunt Valley Baptist Church because I felt very awkward with that pastor unhiring me. I had no church home. I had a brand new wife who was pressuring me to get a job. I had a son who needed me to feed his mom so she could feed him. Amen? I owed my brother $2,500, and I needed money to pay my rent. Now, remember, I took a long, deep breath, and I looked out the windshield toward the skies, and I thought, I know what you want me to do, God. And I said back to the man, I said, I'm sorry. Sunday's the Lord's day. I go to church on Sundays. He said, well, can't you just go on Wednesday evening? We'll give you that off. I said, no, sir. I go to church on Sundays. He said, well, if you change your mind, call me back. I hung up the phone. I looked up out out the window windshield and I said, Lord, I just stood for you. I need you to do something great for me. Well, I got a job the next week. You know what I got a job? I got a job selling vacuum cleaners. I was a vacuum cleaner salesman. Man, these things were expensive. How many of you ever heard of the rainbow vacuum cleaner? It wasn't the rainbow, but it operated the same way. And I was going to people's houses, and I was showing them how filthy their carpets were. And I mean filthy. And I would hold up that bucket of water, and I'd show them the hair and dirt floating in there, and I'd say, you going to tell me your house is clean? And, man, that wife would be so embarrassed And I'd say, here's the financing paperwork, buy the vacuum cleaner. And I was making three or four hundred dollars a vacuum cleaner. I raised enough money to get within three hundred dollars of paying my rent. We just didn't have it. I remember I got down on my knees with Angela and we began to pray that God would just drop the money out of the sky. He'd pay our rent. About ten minutes after we got off our knees, I got a phone call from the Bethel Baptist Church in La Plata, Maryland. I'd never heard of the church and in fact I've only been there twice once to preach on a Wednesday they gave me a $50 love offering and said yep you passed come back uh, and preach for us on a Sunday they brought us back and put us up in a hotel and, and uh, we got in the car Sunday night and they had handed us a love offering check and uh, uh, they got my name from someone a year and a half before but just happened to call right then and I handed the check to my wife and she opened up uh, the check and we're pulling out of the parking lot and I look over and Angela's got tears running down her cheeks I said what does say? How much do they give us? And she's so choked up, she couldn't speak. I pulled the car over the side of the road. I ripped the check out of her hand. I looked over. It was a check for $400. $100 for Sunday school. $100 for Sunday morning. $100 for Sunday evening. And $100 because it said you love Jesus. It was enough to pay the rent. The following week, I got a call from a man by the name of Curtis King who had met with a pastor who had unhired me, given him my name. And a month and a half after I said no to the job of working on Sunday, I was hired to be an assistant pastor at Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie. Folks, here's what I believe with all my heart. Had I said yes to the job where I was working Sunday, God would have never offered me the job at the church. And God was checking my faith. He was saying, was I going to let the world system dominate me? Or was I going to let faith overcome the world? Christian, how do you overcome the world? You overcome the world by trusting and believing that God's way is best. Have I got it right every time? Oh, no, I haven't. Oh, no, I haven't. Have you gotten it right every time? I'm sure not. But well, why don't we make a decision right now tonight that we're going to put our faith and trust in God? We're going to do it His way, and we're going to expect Him to overcome the world that lives within us. Let's have our heads bowed, nice closed this evening. Lord God, help us to be people that choose to walk by faith. Lord, we can't see you with our eyes, we can't hear you with our ears. That's why it's called faith. But Lord, over and over and over again, you come through if we'll just trust you. Lord, help us not to let the world's system dominate us. Lord, help us to walk by faith. Lord, help us to have that fruit, those experiences that come from a life of faith and faithfulness. Lord, would you reveal to each person in this room tonight where they're lacking in faith? Whatever category it is, help them to learn to trust you. Be with us this evening. Help us to make decisions for you in Jesus' name.